Uh, so as we start today, I want to share a thought we're going to call let go and let God. And you've probably heard that phrase before, and I want to give a clarifying remark in just a minute. Uh, but we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 20. So if you'd like to turn there, that would be great. Right? We'll be there in just a few minutes. But this really springs right out of my devotions here. I've been reading through some of the kings of Israel and Judah and uh, looking at some of the good kings there from the northern tribe. And so today we're going to really look at a guy, Jehoshaphat, uh, who's a king. It's a good name for a kid. And we're going to look a little bit at his dad, Asa, uh, and just in relationship with one another and what it means to really uh, let go and let God. So let's, uh, let's start there. Sometimes, have you heard this phrase before, just let go and let God? Sometimes what's coming from that is the idea of just throwing your hands up and give up and kind of like you just don't do anything. So I'm going to sit back and do nothing and just hopefully God takes care of things. Well, that's unbiblical, right? God has not just told us to throw our hands up and give up. He's told us to work and to serve and to love and like live on mission, be kingdom-minded, be Christ-centered. So he's told us all these things and how we should live. So this isn't just hopelessness. This is actually about learning how to come under and live under the authority of God. And so really, I guess some themes today would be submission and learning what it means to submit ourselves, live our lives under the authority of God and His Word. Uh, and so to help with that, I'd like to share uh, a quote here from a gentleman maybe you've heard before. Uh, his name is uh, Adrian Rogers. All right? So he's a pastor. He's been a pastor for a long time. He passed away not too long ago. But he, he's written a book called The Incredible Power of Kingdom Authority. The incredible power of kingdom authority. And so I want to share with you a principle that he says here. So I heard a pastor say this maybe 10 years ago. And I couldn't track down where it came from. Uh, and then I found it was Adrian Rogers who actually said it. And so this is, I, I hope this leads us where we're going today. He says, remember again this principle. We will never be over those things that God has set under us until we learn to be under those things God has placed over us. So let me just illustrate that. We will never learn how to be over what God has placed under us in authority until we learn how to get under ourselves what God has placed over us. And so really that's the picture I hope that you see today. Maybe you see it differently in your mind, but this is kind of how I saw it playing out in my own head. I will never learn how to live a life that honors God with the leadership and the opportunities that he's given me until I come under the authority of God for my life, right? He goes on to say that there is strength in surrender. And so he asks some questions. Are we under the word of God, right? We'll never learn how to get over what's under us until we learn how to get under what God has placed over us. So are we under the word of God? Is the Bible our mandate for life? Are we loving it, reading it, obeying it, and living it? Are we consciously filled with the Holy Spirit? Have we yielded every part of our temple to Him? Are we grieving His Spirit in any way? Are we graciously submitting to those authorities God set over us? The authority of the home, the church, civil government, or our workplace? Have you made Christ everything in your life? And that's what it means, at least today, that's the mindset that I had for this. When we say let go and let God... That's what it means. I am letting go of control of my own life and I am yielding myself. I'm coming under 
the authority of God for my life. That's called submission, right? And we're going to look at a guy today who, who did that, and then he didn't do that. It's kind of like you and I. Can you relate to that? I mean, you remember when Paul said, sometimes I don't do what I want to do, right? And sometimes I struggle to do what I want to do. It's just, it's, it's an issue for me. And it was the same way for Asa. It's the same way for Jehoshaphat. Uh, it's the same way for us today. So I think we can identify with that. But to let go and let God means two different words. Surrender. That word surrender means to cease resistance. Right? So there's probably been a point in our life where we've kind of thrown our hands up and surrender. And hopefully you've done that towards God. I'm, I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering, resisting the drawing of your spirit. I'm surrendering, resisting the authority of your word. And now I'm coming under, submit. I'm coming under uh, to humbly obey what it is that you have in store for me. Uh, I think a couple of illustrations as well might help with this before we make our way forward. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 are a couple of good verses to memorize. Right? It talks about the worries of life. Do not let uh, anything that comes into your mind, right? Don't, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, then verse 7 says, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Those two verses are an example of let go and let God. What am I letting go of? I'm letting go of my anxiety. And I'm doing that as a prayer to God. And what am I letting God? I'm letting God's peace rule my heart, guard my heart and my mind. Does that make sense? Several different concepts here hopefully saying the same thing. Let's put it in a, uh, an example then. You remember when Jesus was in the garden just before he was going to be betrayed by Judas? And the soldiers are there. They've come to arrest him. Uh, all his disciples are there as well, right? They're under the authority of Jesus. They're under his teaching. They're following his lead. But we see somebody get out from under that authority. His name's Peter. What does Peter do? Peter draws his sword and he cuts off the ear. Was that the plan? No, what does Jesus say? Put your sword away. And that's not what we're here for. And he picks the guy's ear up and restores it. It's just amazing how anybody who saw that could walk away and go, there's something different about this person. I mean, that wasn't surgery. It wasn't stitched up. They just kind of restored it. Now, we don't know exactly what Peter did after that, but what we do see is that that didn't turn into a bloodbath. Right? The, there literally could have been thousands of soldiers there with Judas to arrest Jesus. I mean, what happens in that kind of situation? When one person draws blood, it's usually, right, that's go time. It's time to fight. You started it and we're going to finish it kind of thing. Jesus finished it right from the get-go. And so we see Peter following Jesus, okay, while he's following, he gets out from under the authority of Jesus, takes back control of his own life, and does something that he thinks is good, but is actually outside of what Jesus wanted to get done. And so then we see Jesus pulling back in, and Peter comes right back in under the authority of Jesus. And I would say that's much of our day. Right? I want to take control. I want to solve this problem. I have the best idea. This is really what I think I should do. And I find myself acting without praying. And when you read through Chronicles, you'll see often when a king acts without praying, even if good things happen, it's not something that God honors. But when a 
king prays. He's faced with a situation and he prays. He gets the leading of God and it pleases God and it's good for the people. Right? So just learning over and over, day in and day out, moment by moment, how to live under, how to submit under the authority of God is what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to read most of this chapter. It's 30 verses. I think we can get through it quickly. But it, it paints the whole picture. God's Word can illustrate it better than I ever could. So here you've got King Jehoshaphat. And there are a few different nations who are coming against him. And they're going to pursue him, right? They want to wage war and they want to conquer him. And so Jehoshaphat is going to respond, we're going to see, by prayer. Now Jehoshaphat, when you get into chapter 22, was somebody who sought the Lord with all his heart. If you seek the Lord with all your heart, does that make you perfect? No. So we'll see here as well, he, he's not perfect. None of these guys were. King Asa, good king, wasn't perfect. Josiah, right? Lots of these good guys, not perfect. They've got issues as well, and just like you and I. So we're in process. We've just not been perfected yet. So Jehoshaphat here is going to, this is kind of a high. This is a good moment for him as he finds himself being uh, just on the verge of being attacked by these surrounding nations. And so after this, Moabites, Ammonites, with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And some people came and told him, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazon, Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So they're already on the move, and they're getting close. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to what? Inquire of the Lord. That's the best move you and I could ever make. I don't have time. I have to think, or think quick, or act quick. No, no, no. It's the best move we could ever make to inquire of the Lord, whatever the case may be. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Notice what happens. This is what it looks like to get under what's over you. What do the people do? The people of Judah came together to what? Seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard. So all the people are gathered, and here's what he said. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Verse 7 says, Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, uh, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying this, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Verse 10, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. So when the nation of Israel was being led into the land, God would not allow them to destroy these surrounding nations. And the result is they're going to come and try to attack them. Verse 11 says, See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance, our God? 
Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jahaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them, and they will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. And do not be afraid and do not be discouraged, but go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So Jehoshaphat, in verse 18, says that he bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. And then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Then early in the, in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They started beating up each other, verse 23. The Ammonites, Moabites, they rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Berica, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Berica to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem. They went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets, the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Right, lots of things we could talk through here. Right, Lots of good application. But what we're looking at here today is what does it actually mean to come under the authority of God for our life? And so we're going to look at this through a few points for we're going to say, uh, we're going to submit, all right? So we submit by doing these three things, and we submit for good reasons, all right? And what we're going to see ultimately is that what we just read. When we submit, it's good for our protection. When we submit to God, he's promised to provide. Some of that comes in ways that we don't understand or we may not see, but yet we're to trust him through all this, all right? So here we go. Let go and let God. We're going to submit by initially acknowledging that God is 
great. We've done this in song today, but we're going to do it from the text as well. Acknowledging the greatness of God. So here you find King Jehoshaphat, and he's standing before those that God has placed under him. Right? He's standing before Judah, all Jerusalem. And he is looking to lead these people. Um, And he's going to do this by himself getting under the authority of God. So notice he doesn't campaign. I mean, when we view commercials for political candidates, right? How many of them start by saying, my life is under the authority of God and I will lead in such a way that honors his word? Have you ever heard that? No. What do we get when 20 people get a microphone on a stage? We get chaos, right? It's ridiculous. Everybody's got different opinions and ideas that don't accomplish anything. And you set new people in position, they get nothing done. We're going to do it in four years, and they're going to get nothing done. That's becoming the mantra of our country. Put people in who promise to do stuff, and they do nothing, at least in ways that really matter. That's not what King Jehoshaphat is doing. He's not saying, hey, here's a good idea. Let's try it. That's what his dad Asa did. We're not going to take time to read it. If you go back to 2 Chronicles 16, you'll see where Asa is faced with the, the king from Israel, and he's coming to attack him. Asa then aligns himself with an enemy nation that doesn't worship God, and you know what happens? They win the battle. King Basha ends up drawing away the king of Israel, and it looks good for King Asa. Man, that was a good decision on your part. And the very next words talk about how a prophet comes to Asa. and says, because you trusted in yourself and the armies of Aram, and you didn't trust in the Lord your God who delivered you, then here are some of the bad things that are going to come upon you. What happened for King Asa? He got out from under the authority of God. Instead of letting God, he let go of God, and he now was grasping on to his best idea. Matter of fact, when you read on 2 Chronicles 20, we'll see Jehoshaphat doing the exact same thing. He's going to align himself with another nation. He's going to build some ships. He's getting out from under the authority of God. And God's going to destroy the ship. So like we said earlier, nobody's perfect at this. But what we're looking at is what does it mean to really let go and trust God? So let's notice here how he leads. He's going to ask all Israel uh, to fast. Or all Judah rather. He's going to ask them to, to fast and to come together and to seek the Lord. And that's exactly what they're going to do here. So back in verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard. And he said this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. So he's called the nation to fast. He's called the nation to seek the Lord. And now he's standing in front of this group of people and what is he doing? What's it sound like? Lord, the God of our ancestors. What do we call it when we talk to God? He's praying. He's standing up in front of the people that God has placed under him, and he's showing them what it looks like to lead. You want to be a good leader? Get under the authority of God. You want to be a poor leader? Then you try to go your own way. And so he's showing them, this is what we're going to do. And Maybe he had learned some of this from Uh, the poor decisions that his dad had made in front of him. Asa is known as a man who was devoted to the Lord and followed him with his heart. So is King Jehoshaphat. Like we said, neither were perfect. 
But he's starting here by praying. I want you to notice how he prays. He says, the Lord, the God of our ancestors. What does that mean? And we read over that pretty quickly. That's a little phrase that contains a ton. So he's talking about our ancestors, right? So we go back to how this whole thing started. We may talk about Adam and Eve. We may be thinking of Noah. We're definitely thinking of Abraham. We're thinking of Moses, right? All the family members there. The God of our ancestors. So as he prays, he's reminding the people of the God that they are under. He's not some wimpy God like these other nations serve. He's not made with wood or gold or any kind of metal. He's the true and living God. This is the God who is the God over our ancestors. So when he says that, he's saying things like, you are the God who created all things. You are the God who's promised us covenants like you did with Noah. You are the God who's promised us blessing to us and through us just as you did to Abraham. You're the God who's promised to provide for us and to deliver us just like you did Moses. When he says the God of our ancestors, he's saying a ton. He is acknowledging the greatness of God. And so it's not just some little arbitrary prayer. He's speaking things that are true. What else does he go on to say here? Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. What does that mean? It means every nation is where? That's right. Every nation, whether they want to be or not, we're all under the authority of God. Now, we may live outside of that authority, but at the end of the day, everyone is under the authority of God. If every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord, you know what that means? He's got all authority. And everyone will come underneath that authority. Some willingly, others not so. He's the God of all power. And so power and might are in your hands so much so that no one can stand against you. So there is none like this God. So as Jehoshaphat is encouraging these people, he's reminding himself of the greatness of God. This is why I submit to Creator God, covenant God, the blesser God, the provider God, the deliverer God. Because He is God. It's important, right? God is powerful. It's important that we remember who we are under. There's not a person on the planet that we could ever get under who has that kind of authority. Right? Not our local government, not a police department, not an employer. They may be over us, but they are not God over us. Right? There is none like him is essentially what the king here is praying. And so God has been good in our lives as well. We would say that he is our father if we know him. His son is our savior. We would say that he has provided the path to forgiveness. We would say that he is the one who has welcomed us into his family. He's the one who's filled us with his spirit. He's the one who's changing us by that spirit. He's the one who's using our life to help others know him. Like we would have lots of great reason to give God thanks and praise. And so it's good, right, to acknowledge the greatness of God. I don't want to be under the authority of some tyrant, do you? I don't want to be under the authority of some weak or ill-intentioned person. I want to be under somebody who's all-powerful. Be under somebody who is in charge of all things. Everything submits to him, including you and I. So when we think about 
living under the authority of God, it starts with acknowledging the greatness of our God. Secondly here, let's let go and let God. We're going to submit by remembering what God has done in the past. Remembering what God has done in the past. So first thing, remember who he is. Right? And the second thing here we're going to say is, let's think back to what he has done. So acknowledge his greatness, and then we're going to look at here remembering his goodness. And so if I take time to remember how good God has been, not just how great he is, that speaks to who he is. When I'm talking about goodness, that's like what he's done to me and what he's done for me. All right? When I think about what God has done in the past, it should fuel me that much more just to desire to live underneath his authority. So back in verse 7, our God, all right, remember, he's just acknowledged the greatness. Now he's talking about his goodness. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Wasn't that you, God, that did that? We've got these three nations coming against us, but you're great. We've got these three nations who are looking to conquer us, but you've been good. Aren't you that God? They have lived in the land that you have led them into, and they have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will what? You will hear us and you will save us. Right? Aren't you the good God that led Moses into this land? Aren't you the good God that drove out the inhabitants of this land and brought judgment on those people so they could have a land that they didn't build? So they could have crops that they didn't plant? So they could live in cities that they did not fortify? Aren't you the God that did that? That's who we are remembering you. You are a good God. And so we know this, even with these nations coming against us, whether it's plague or famine, sort of judgment, it doesn't matter. This is your temple and it bears your name. We are your people and we've been fasting and crying out to you. We trust you and we know that when we pray, you hear us and you will save us. See, these people have learned what it means to submit to God. They have got under the authority of God. Not a tyrant God, but a God who says, you come under my wings, you'll find protection. That sounds like a psalm, right? Psalm 91 tells us that there is shelter, there is provision and protection under the wings of the Almighty. So that's what's going on here. And so what is it that gave these people and the king the ability to say such things? I mean, is that how you pray? God, if this week comes against me in a way to wreck me, in my great distress, I'm going to call out to you and I know you're going to hear me and you're going to save me. I know without a doubt. What does that look like? I don't know. But I know that you hear and you will save. Absolutely. How is it that King Jehoshaphat was praying this way? What did we just read? He was remembering the goodness of God. The God who had led him in. The God who had provided for them, think they didn't have anything. And he supplied everything. Listen, it's good for us, church, to sit down sometimes and just even write these things out, reminding yourself of the ways that God has been good to you. Right? Sometimes we get a little selfish and we want a little more out of this world. 
I'd like to have that, that, and that. Okay? And we get discontent because we don't have X, Y, Z. It's good for us to remember the goodness of God. I would encourage you to share that with your spouse. You know, we take opportunity to share that with our church family from time to time. Right? Tell me how the Lord has been good to you. Do you have something that you want to give him thanks for? I mean, what's one of 10,000 reasons to bless his name? We do that. And it's encouraging when we hear from each other how God has been good in your life. Right? That's what's going on here. You and I may not be or we may be in the midst of a trial. We may not see how the enemy is advancing around us. But the reality is he's present. Are we prepared? A good way to prepare, again, get under the authority of God. Let go and let God. Submit to him by remembering how good he has been in your past. And if you'll do that, you know what will happen? It will give you courage to live with faith in your present and in your future. So we submit by remembering what he has done. And then we're going to trust here third and last. We're going to trust the leading of God in our lives. Acknowledge his greatness. Remember his goodness. And now we're talking about trusting his guidance. It's good to remember who God is. The God that we're submitted to. Right? If you're submitted to me in a way that's not biblical... I'm going to let you down. I cannot be your God. I struggle to be a good under-shepherd. But your shepherd doesn't struggle. And your God doesn't struggle. He's perfect and he's good. He's great. Right? He's been good to us in multiple ways. And that gives us courage to trust in his guidance. So remember those things, but also here let's think forward a little bit. And so we always know that God's going to do some things, but we always don't know what he's doing. You ever lived in that season for a while? I know God's at work. I just don't know what he's doing. I know God's word says that he's with me. I just don't feel it. I know that God's word says that he's, he's completing me, but I just don't see how right now. Like sometimes we know some things, but we don't see it. We know some things, but we just don't feel it. And that's why it's important to know some things. Right? We let truth trump those other areas, and truth leads in those other areas. So I don't always know why things are happening as they are, but that shouldn't discourage me. Right? That should just create in me a greater desire to trust the great God as I remember his goodness because he's just about to make a story in my life and a good one. He's just about to make a memory in my life and a good one. You remember when we were faced with that situation we didn't know what to do and we cried out to the Lord trusting that he would hear and save. You remember how he provided for us? Wasn't that good? That's what's awaiting here. And so we don't want to live just on yesterday's victory. We want to live today knowing that today is just as much a day of victory and tomorrow. So whatever I'm facing, whatever seeks to distress me, whatever's coming against me, it's okay if I don't know what to do. You know, that bothered me for a while. When I was first here, I mean within a month of being here, having a conversation with a person in the, in the back of the church there and uh, this person said to me, I don't think our leadership knows what they're doing. And I don't think if you, if you don't know what you're doing then you need to get out of the way and let somebody who does know what they're doing come in place. Like, Ooh. I didn't know I was walking into a hostile environment. It was for a while. 
And I remember feeling the pressure after the whole process there with Uncle David and then I don't know what to do. You know what kept echoing in my mind? If you don't know what to do, you better get out of the way and let somebody in who knows what to do. Because you're not the guy. This is not your option. This is not your opportunity. So you either make it happen or move out of the way. And that was polite. I'm telling you, it was said to me in a way that kind of shook me to my core for a while. But when you come to Second Chronicles 20, there's some good news here for those of us who don't always know what to do. If I always knew what to do, I'd say, move over, God, and let me be God for a while. I got it. Right? This wouldn't be let go and let God. It would be let me be God. There are times I don't know what to do. And I pray that a lot. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to reach people. I don't know what's the best next step for us. I'm praying for opportunities for all of us. I'm praying for spiritual growth in our lives. I'm praying for a hunger for God's word. I'm praying for unity. I'm praying that he sends us, that he makes much of himself through us. But I don't always see how that connects X, Y, Z next month or next year. And that used to bother me. But thankfully, God's word speaks to some of this stuff. So it's okay if you don't know, as long as you're trusting in the one who does. See, what happens when you have that little voice in your head that's telling you either get something done or get out of the way, is you start to get out from under the authority of God and feel like, I've got to get something done. So I'm going to try this program, this program, this program, this program. We're going to try to change things this way, this way, this way. And when nothing works, we're like, well, what happened? Did you take time to pray? Are you trying to please people? Are you trying to run ahead of God? I know there's been times where I've just gotten out from under and said, I'm tired of waiting and we're going this way. And thankfully God's been patient and you have as well. Just let me come back and, hey, just sit here a while. Let me show you who I am. Remember my goodness. And trust what I've got in store. What's this say? Verse 12. It says, our God, will you not judge them? These enemies are coming to attack us. We're surrounded. We're in great distress. We've been fasting and asking our whole nation to seek you with their whole heart. And we're declaring your greatness. We're remembering your goodness. But God, won't you judge these people? What don't we have? We don't have power. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. What's the next line? We do not know what to do. If that's where that ended, culture would say, then get out of the way and let's get a new king in. But what's he say? We don't know what to do. You remember the big butts of the Bible? There's a bunch of them. That's a big butt right there. But our eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, but I know that you do. And what? So our eyes are on you. I am trusting you. We're about to be pursued. We're about to be attacked. We are not prepared. We don't have the ability to take on this army. He didn't come up with plan A, B, or C. He didn't say, here's my strategy. Let's try to implement it. He sought the Lord with his whole heart. And God honored that. 
God bless that. I think it's good to hear it's okay sometimes not to know what to do as long as you're trusting the one who does. And so what's it look like for us then to live that kind of way? What's it look like to be somebody that doesn't always know what to do but is trying to live under the authority of God? Let's read it. Verses 18 through 21. Jehoshaphat, so God gives the answer. Between 12 and 18, God says, hey, I'm going to be God. Just stand still. This isn't your battle. I'm going to fight this out for you. Your job is just to stand still. Your job is to trust me. Your job is to have faith. Your job is to rest. You're doing the right thing. You're seeking me with your whole heart. You're humbly saying you don't understand what to do. You don't see how this works out, but your eyes are on me. So this is my battle, and I'm going to fight for you. You just watch how this happens. So the king hears the response from the prophet that God is speaking through, and what does he do? Jehoshaphat, ooh, he bows down. Bowing down is right, but it's also symbolic here. What's it mean to bow down? It means to humble yourself, and it's saying you're in control and I'm not. I submit to you. And so the king bows down, not just the king, his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, they also fell down and worshiped before the Lord. And some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites, they stood up. What do they do? They praise the Lord. Man, wouldn't you want to be in that assembly? You know, sometimes we don't understand. We were talking about, do we pray for persecution? I don't know. Sometimes we don't understand what's actually coming against us. These people saw what was coming against them, and what do they do? All of a sudden, my faith got real. Not that maybe it hadn't been real before, but now I really have to rely on it. It's all I've got. I don't know what to do. I definitely can't do what's coming against us. God says, I got it. Let me be God. Let me be God. Okay. And they fell down. And it's just like worship broke out. People are praying. You can just hear the hum of prayers ascending to the Lord. And within that sacred moment, then some of these singers begin to rise up. We don't know what song they're singing, but they start singing praise to their God. Has the enemy been defeated at this point? The enemy is just as present as he's ever been. Their situation has not changed whatsoever. But they've changed. They sought the Lord. They heard from the Lord. And now they are worshiping the Lord. They praised the God of Israel with a very loud voice. Then early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. He's saying, trust God. Trust what he said. You're about to see the deliverance of God. And it's going to come in a way that never could have happened on our own. We could have tried to handle this ourselves. I could have just stood up and said, I'm the king, I'm in charge, and let me show you what I can do. 
when really he did. I am the king and let me show you what I should do. We're going to come under the authority of God. And after consulting the people, encouraging the people, reminding the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. What do we do when we don't know what to do? We trust in the one who does, knowing that he hears and saves, and we bow down. Listen, this may need to be an actual physical act for you. And you might say, I don't know that I can get down. Well, maybe it's kneel beside your bed. Or maybe it's just if you can't get down, it's in your mind. Lord, my body won't let me lay prostrate before you. But if I could, I would. And I'd lay here as slim and flat on the ground as I can to show you that I'm nothing submitting myself under the total authority of who you are. And I think as we laid there and as we prayed there, you know what would begin to rise up in us? Praise. Because he's great. Because he's been good. And we would worship the Lord. And we'd give thanks to the Lord. The situation has not changed. But it's about to be different. See, that's what it means to come under the authority of God. It's not just ob- obligation. When you know who He is, and man, you lay yourself down there. He's good there. He'll change you there. He'll change me there. We'll find ourselves often giving thanks as we encourage each other as well to trust in the Lord. Listen, lots of ways to live this life. God's made us in His image and He's given us the ability to have the freedom of a will to make choices. And we can choose to get out from under that authority and think that our way is best and He'll let us live that life. But we have been designed to function perfectly under the authority of God, under the authority of His Word, under the authority of His convicting and nudging Spirit. So I just want to encourage you today to do those three things that we talked about. We submit each and every moment by acknowledging that He's great, by remembering His goodness, And by trusting in his guidance. And as we do, we let go and we let God.